Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we're talking to you about the second half of the Clone Wars movie. Woohoo! So for those of you who missed the first half of the movie or want to recap because there's a lot going on. Oh my God, so much going on. The general plot is that the Separatists or someone has kidnapped Jabba the Hutt's baby because, His larva baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learned that Jabba the Hutt has a gender, and that gender is male. <laughs> Tragically. <laughs> kind of. Tragically, we learn a lot more than we wanted to know about the Hutties and their larva babies. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of cute. But anyway, <laughs> she's, she's giving me a look, folks. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, of course, Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan are called in to save the day after... We resolve the Battle of Christophsis, which is where Ahsoka Tano is assigned to Anakin Skywalker as a Padawan. So they resolve the Battle of Christophsis, solve all the problems. Then they need to go rescue Jabba the Hutt's baby from the planet of Teft. Teth. Teth. At the Battle of Teth, they end up at this cool monastery. And it is, of course, surrounded by Separatist battle droids. They fight their way in. They rescue the baby, but then the baby turns out to have been... Sick, poisoned, whatever, doesn't really matter. And we left off last session with Anakin leaving the monastery on dragonflies to get to a real sketchy ship that um, has some separatist droids on it. So this starts off and Obi-Wan has shown up to save the day. And fight Asajj Ventress. Mm-hmm. Who has been real scary up until now. She handily defeated Ahsoka right before they jumped on the dragonflies. So Obi-Wan tells R4 to take the wheel. And then he airdrops himself into battle. Rescuing Rex and the rest of the clones. In a pretty stunning fight. But somehow the droids just keep coming. And they're trying to figure out where Skywalker is. What they can do. Meanwhile Skywalker and Ahsoka have... Gotten aboard this claptrap of a funky ship and are flying up to space. They get to the Jedi cruiser, which fires on them because they have no IFF or anything. And they're like, hey, stop shooting at us. And they make contact. Anakin tells them to open a door so they can get in. There's there's a continual note of conflict between Anakin. Like as soon as he gets in the ship, he's like, oh, yeah, let's go blast those droids. And Ahsoka's like, we have a mission still. Yeah, Ahsoka really keeps him on track in this mm-hmm. part of the movie. She's like, we have a mission. It's to get this hutlet to Tatooine alive. Mm-hmm. And nothing comes before the mission. Yeah. And in fact, that's what uh, Rex says as they're flying off. That, yeah, I understand that you're leaving me here to die. Nothing comes before the mission. So He's a good sport about it. He is. And he doesn't die. And he doesn't die. Rex survives a long time. But anyway... They are flying up in their claptrap of a ship. They get shot at a little bit. They pick up some vulture droids on their tail. They do some really fancy really flying. Really cool flying. Mm-hmm. This is a very, the budget, the animation budget and like effort that goes into it is particularly noticeable mm-hmm. in this scene and some of the lightsaber scenes. So they head towards the bay door, which the vulture droids swoop ahead and blow up, killing Lots of clones. And they've got no choice but to just turn back and head straight to Tatooine in their crappy ship. Mm-hmm. As this is going on, Obi-Wan is fighting Ventress. Oh, it's so great. As soon as Anakin, Ahsoka, and R2 manage to get their ship into hyperdrive, Obi-Wan looks at Asajj and says, yes, I feel it too. 
Anakin is gone, you failed. Mm -hmm. And then they continue to fight. And probably either the coolest or the second coolest lightsaber duel of this movie. It's definitely up there. Uh, There's another one later that is also extremely cool. The fights in this are similar to the space battles, higher effort was put into them than mm-hmm. in the, the TV series. And these are some these are some good fights. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan disarms Asajj just like as cool as a cucumber. Yeah. So Obi-Wan shows up and he's ready to fight Asajj. And he's like, ah, yes, we meet again. And these two B2 battle droids, which are really scary, show up. He goes into his Soryesu form and just deflects their shots until he's close enough to chop him into pieces and then chases after her. Oh, it's so great. Then while they're fighting, she uh, flings her cloak off into his face. And he Which like, I was kind of, I was a little bummed about it because Asajj's original outfit is way cooler with her like cloak skirt thing going on. Yeah. And then as soon as she whips it off and throws it at Obi-Wan... We'll have to talk about this later, but the costuming between the genders is really inequitable (laughs) in this movie. And so all of a sudden you've got like boobs and back all over the place. And Asajj just has no armor on and is going after Obi-Wan with double lightsabers. Not that it really helps with uh, a lightsaber wearing armor much. Um, Asajj shows off her really cool lightsaber. She's got two curved lightsabers. Uh, similar to Dooku's lightsaber, and she connects them together to make a double lightsaber similar to uh, Maul. But sometime during this fight, Obi-Wan cuts it in half. So they're fighting. They know Anakin is left. They're on this uh, bridge, presumably over a bottomless drop. Ventress taps her wrist communicator, and Obi-Wan shoves one of her lightsabers off the cliff. Uh, Her wrist communicator goes off as a vulture droid flies by, which Asajj pretty coolly jumps on top of mm-hmm. and scoots away scoots away obi-wan goes and cleans everything up meanwhile meanwhile ahsoka anakin and r2 are flying to tatooine which ahsoka notes oh going to tatooine is like going home right and anakin has some like intrusive ptsd thoughts about Probably murdering a whole clan of Tusken Raiders the last time he was on Tatooine. <laughs> Awkward. There's uh, actually a moment there. It's a it's a scene cut, a, a screen wipe, and you hear the cry, the characters to cry of Tusken Raiders, and he's like PTSDing. Ooh, that was really well done. Mm-hmm. As that happens, uh, we cut to Dooku, who's in front of Jabba, and he gets a message from Ventress, and Ventress says, they've killed the Hutlet. They're coming to you to kill you. And, and of course, Dooku plays this in front of Java, mm-hmm. Jabba and says, ah, yes, well, I will take care of it from here. In the meantime, Ahsoka goes into the back and has a funny moment with a silly... Medical droid? Yeah, like a hologram of a medical droid. This takes place uh, about 10 years, 13 years after Star Trek Voyager, which had a holographic doctor who was actually competent. This uh, hol doctor was not competent. He's like mumbling and like, oh, yes, just give him one of these pills and uh, get a real doctor and then bounces. But it does what it needs to do. The medical booster fixes up the hutlet. He's fine. Yes. He goes back to his normal shade of puke green. After letting out a visibly green burp. God, huts are just so gross. (laughs) So they arrive at Tatooine and are beset by P-38 fighters with 
IG-100 Magna droids in them, which are the guys who have the cool shock sticks. And it is a tough fight. There's a little bit of a bonding moment right before that, right? Like as we're going into this scene of Anakin asking Ahsoka for help and repairing the ship. And I think that's really cool there. Like bonding as a Padawan and master because that's yeah, Anakin's jam. There's like a little lesson moment too, where Ahsoka says, master, today I did my best to stay cool and calm and collected. And everything was so easy when I was able to do that. And it was a really sweet moment of Ahsoka, like reaching out to her Jedi master mm-hmm. and being like, I'm, I'm doing my best. And I feel like I did really good today. And then bam, they're in the middle of a space battle, which uh, Anakin was giving his lesson, which is, who needs shields when you have guns? Meanwhile, they're surrounded by fighters. And she's like, I bet you wish you had shields now. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> oh, my God. The Ahsoka-Anakin dynamic is so much spicier than I remembered. Yeah, it's Ahsoka's good. Ahsoka's yelling at him. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, they've been friends for like... Two minutes. Yeah, like two days, maybe, depending on how long it takes to fly from Christophsis to Teth. A day and a half max. <laughs> so they're getting shot at by these things. Uh, they fly around pretty wildly. There's like a scene where Ahsoka and the Hutlet and R2 are like bouncing around the back of the ship as Anakin's like, hold on. Uh, he gets a kill. And R2 then, gets a kill. Yes. And then he tells R2 to get the guns. And then R2, <laughs> R2 rotates the gun and Anakin's like, hey, good job, little buddy. You've been holding out on me. And Anakin's flying over Tatooine. R2 has shot down the second P-38. And their ship is falling apart. They get a phone call from Obi-Wan who says, Anakin, did you get shot down again? And Ahsoka's like, yes. And he's like, "It's I haven't had time to fix the ship yet. Oh, God, it's so good. So they crash on Tatooine. It's a pretty slick crash landing by all accounts. They're in one piece. So at this point, Obi-Wan is like, well, this situation's gotten a little funky. So he calls in to Yoda. And the Chancellor, who are having a meeting, of course, at this time. And they're like, ah, yes, well, you know, we'll try to resolve this situation as best as we can. Just kind of an update. Meanwhile, uh, Padme just walks into the Chancellor's office. I cannot believe that in the last 15 to 18 minutes of this feature-length film, they just throw an entire Padme subplot in here. Mm -hmm. And yet they do. The plot of this movie is so messy. So... So Padme shows up and uh, Chancellor Palpatine is like, yes, you know, the Outer Rim, yada, yada. Uh, anyway, this Anakin guy, you may have met him, whatever. He's in trouble. And she's like, oh, well, I know a hut. I can take care of this. He's like, I sure wish you wouldn't do that. And she's like, well, I'll be safe. And he's like, you're doing this against my advice. He's very- Just really half-heartedly trying yeah. to be like, no, don't do that. Yeah. So Padme goes and meets- Zero the hut. Zero the hut. Can I please state for the record, zero the hut is an affront to every gay Southerner everywhere. That <laughs> accent is the most atrocious thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I I looked up when uh, Lindsey Graham became a senator, and it was five years before this movie. So I feel like there might be a bit of a shout out there because it is it is that extremely ridiculous accent and of course he speaks in galactic basic as opposed to Hatties. Hmm. but we cut to him and he's having one of his droids who's failed him for the first time at last chronos 327 you've failed me oh my god the accent is so good and uh 
And he takes him away. Take him away for parts. Like, and he's smoking out of a hookah and he's got this cool, like, glow-in-the-dark tattoo over his eye. It is absolutely incredible. I just want to say that the downtown sexy urban Coruscant bar scene that we get, like, especially in Attack of the Clones, but also in this movie... I just want nothing more than to hang out in downtown Coruscant at these like amazing bars with jazz quartets. It's a world spanning city. It is Coruscant such is a, a whole mood. City. I'm deeply into this. After the uh, droid is hauled off for parts, the music cuts to upbeat. And right then Padme shows up and tries to broker a deal between the Republic and the Huts. Mm-hmm. Zero is not having any of that, kicks her out. Padme on her way out decides to uh, kick the robot and sneak out through the door of the elevator just in time and sneak in on Zero and Dooku having a conversation where apparently Zero has been part of this whole thing because that way he is going to be in charge of the Hut clans as opposed to Jabba. Yes, he wants Jabba to get tried by the Jedi Council and essentially taken out of action mm-hmm. so that Zero can become the leader of all the Hut clans. Or they just point Anakin at it and there'll be no trial whatsoever. <laughs> mm, okay. In tune with the messiness of this plot, we then splice back to Tatooine, where we kind of get like the fortune cookie of the movie. Ahsoka and Anakin and R2 are making their way across the Dune sa- the, the Dune The Dune Sea. The Dune Sea. And Ahsoka is clearly trying to fish for information about Anakin's past. And she says Uh, Master Yoda told me one time that old sins cast long shadows. Does this relate to you at all, Master? Anakin says... Anakin is like very clearly haunted by his past in this scene. And he says, it means your past can ruin your future if you allow it. And And then then it was Master Skywalker who said, and I don't want to fucking talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, he's still got that. Tuscan scream in the back of his head. And it's interesting. I'm pretty sure this would be the first time he's back to Tatooine since then. I imagine so. And it does relate to throughout the rest of Anakin's life, why he didn't set a lot of, he didn't think about Tatooine as much as he could. Yeah. He tells Ahsoka, I had hoped to never see this dust bucket ever again, Mm -hmm. which is a really... It speaks to Anakin trying to escape from his past, but when there is trauma in your past, it will keep coming back to haunt you until you deal with it. That's the hero's journey. So Padme's being held in Zero's dungeon. Mm -hmm. She manages to trick the droids that are guarding her into opening up her communicator. Well, she receives a phone call and she's like, no, don't answer my phone. And they're like, what is it? And there's C-3PO. C-3PO! And he's like, oh no, what's happened? And she's like... I'm being helped by Zero the Hut. Call for help. Bye. And they they smash it. And uh, so she's pulled in front of Zero. Mm -hmm. And Zero the Hut says, you know, you've tried to escape. You're too dangerous to be left alive. They call Count Dooku. Count Dooku pulls a Tracy Morgan on her and is like, I have no idea. Nice to meet you, Senator Amidala. (laughs) And, uh, And then he tells zero that she's worth a lot so to keep her alive because newt gunray still wants her alive because she's been a thorn in his side forever freaking newt gunray i know someone get him out of my hair someone get him out of padme's hair meanwhile 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 oh my gosh this plot is so messy so 
Dooku manages to send some or no. So first, Anakin says it's we we feel the dark side coming and we need to split ways. Oh yeah, because he's been carrying Stinky in his backpack this whole time. It's really cute, actually. Yes. And so then Dooku shows up and Anakin's got the backpack and they have a fight in the sand. Yeah, Dooku first shoots like blue force lightning at Anakin and Anakin zaps it up through his lightsaber. And I remembered immediately the last time Anakin saw Dooku, Dooku sliced his hand off. Also force lightning him real bad. Yeah. So he's like, good. You leveled up. Good job. Yeah, they're battling. And Dooku says, your training has come a long way, boy. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, rah. Dooku has good one-liners. He really does. He also is trying to unsettle Anakin by saying, ah, I remember. This is your home planet, isn't it? I sense your strong feelings, pain, loss. He's really trying to get into Anakin's head. Mm-hmm. So he, they have a fight. Anakin does a very cool move where he flings a bunch of sand at him. Yeah, he like Avatar the Last Airbenders <laughs> Dooku with some sand bending. But Dooku does it right back. In an interesting callback to the previous fight between Obi-Wan and Ventress, uh, at that point, Ventress whips away Obi-Wan's lightsaber, and then she stabs at Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan dodges. Mm-hmm. When, Dooku's stab- when Dooku sands, which is... Um, <laughs> Pun not intended. When Dooku oh flings, when Dooku <laughs> flings uh, Anakin's lightsaber away with the sand, Anakin lies there and pulls his lightsaber to him and does a really difficult defense against mm. Dooku because that's how Anakin rolls. He'd never think about ducking or retreating. He always is on the attack. Dooku then slashes Anakin's backpack, which is full of rocks. Ha ha ha. Yeah, so Dooku says, ah, well, it's all over now. I killed the hutlet. And Anakin is like, haha, joke's on you. My backpack was full of rocks, which is such bullshit. Like, Dooku would be able to sense if there was a living being inside of that backpack or not. Unless Anakin was hiding his feelings by having strong emotions of loss and etc. Oh, okay. That is very interesting. That deserves some thought. But then... Dooku brings up a a hollow phone and says, but your Padawan is not super good. And I've already got her caught in my net, which is made of Magna Guards. And we cut to Magna Guards beating up Ahsoka. No, first we have the best line in this entire movie, which is that Anakin looks at Dooku and says, she's more skillful than you think. Ooh, (laughs) it's so good. And then we cut to my, my babies in battle. Yeah, Ahsoka says three against one. Watch my back, Stinky. So what is she fight. fighting exactly? So those are IG-100 Magna droids, and we see them in episode three. They're Grievous and Dooku's personal guard droids, and they have cool like shock lances. Yeah, they're really scary. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka basically firms up her upper lip, or uh, what's that saying? She like stiffens her upper she lip. She stiffens her upper lip and is like, okay, I am the Padawan in this situation, but I'm going to murder these three droids she's got r2 to help he goes up he gives him a little shock and the droid boots him off the hillside and r2 is in a position he cannot get himself out of despite having rocket boots because he's like on his back and presumably he used all his rocket fuel on that half mile flight to the ship baby so poor r2's sitting there uh ahsoka gets knocked off the hillside as well okay and then we cut again back to coruscant with padme uh, being marched in front of Zero, and then C-3PO. 
peeks around the corners like, hello. Well, first of all, a bunch of busted droids blow up out of the corner as like someone breaches and clears the room. And then C-3PO shows up. I imagine Zero at that moment was like, who sent a death protocol droid at me? Because the protocol (laughs) droid shows up. But then Captain Fox of the Coruscant Guard shows up and they shoot everyone the second best line in this movie, Zero says, run for it, and then slithers away at like a mile and a half like, per hour. Not not a good speed. <laughs> it's really so <laughs> about, great. About the speed you'd expect a hut to have. We both laughed out loud. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was quality. Back on Tatooine, having watched this movie of Ahsoka get beat up by Magna droids, Anakin is like, okay, well, I'll smell you later. You left your keys in your ignition and jumps on Dooku's <laughs> bike and speeds off to the uh, Jabba's palace. Yeah, he completely flies over Ahsoka, who's in battle with the two remaining droids. And Ahsoka's like, ugh, he never listens, mm-hmm. which is such a mood. Mm-hmm. He's, Anakin is a himbo in this movie. <laughs> so Anakin shows up and he's like, I'm here to see my Padawan. The protocol droid is like, ah, yes, right this way. May I have your lightsaber, please? He's like, whatever, fine. He walks in and Jabba's ready to kill him. And then Ahsoka finishes off the remaining droid, says, wow, being a Padawan is harder than I thought. Oh, my honey. <laughs> and then marches into Jabba's palace and saves the day. Because at that point, Anakin has his lightsaber up against Jabba's throat and is like, "I there's a miscommunication here. Although, as I watch this for another time... Uh, Anakin definitely knows Hatties. It would be interesting to have that back and forth. Oh, but, you're right. But because it's a younger kids movie, you don't want to do the subtitles and everything. So yeah, no one should ever send Anakin on a diplomatic mission ever. He's trying to smooth things over with Jabba and ends up holding him at saber point. So you think the day is saved because the Jedi show up with the baby. Jabba's very happy to see the baby and says, "You are now to be executed immediately." <laughs> And uh, and then it turns out Padme also contributes to saving the day because she holocrons in with Zero, who admits to being part of this entire plot to overthrow Jabba. Mm-hmm. Jabba is basically like your poodoo. And, you know, kind of gives him the, uh, what do you mean you were threatened by Count Dooku? You're a mafia lord. Like... Get it together. So then Padme kind of like elbows him off the screen, comes back in, arranges the treaty with Jabba. And now the Republic can move their clone armies through Jabba's space. After a really as just not even veiled moment of eye banging between Literally, how can you not know Padme and Anakin are banging? How can you not know? You have my undying gratitude oh my god it's really so great it's it's awkward but yeah this is like all in a day's work for padbe she seals the treaty and kind of saves the day she she was very much action padme action padme ha hard eyes so that's the plot of the movie we get to the end and uh yoda and obi-wan show up in a landing craft and then you have an awkward moment where everyone smiles and waves and then you zoom out on the baby yeah there's a really weird ending like the score plays in the background palpatine and dooku are kind of debriefing palpatine says allow the jedi their small victory the engines of this war turn in our favor and then you close in on the steps of Jabba's palace. Uh, Anakin and Ahsoka are backlit. 
they're presented kind of like as a team of mm-hmm. equals, sort with, of for the Jabba first time. For some reason. Yeah, and then it looks like Yoda kind of gives a nod of approval to Ahsoka and Anakin, and then the credits roll. Yeah, it's it's interesting that Palpatine moment at the end because this is the type of thing which Palpatine running the war from both sides might have been able to he might he would have been able to capitalize on either way. And I think that his main plan is actually to put Anakin in precarious situations. Oh, interesting. And part of it is circling back to the first half of this movie when we talk about Yoda saying Anakin's going to have to learn to let go of his Padawan. He's Mm going to have to learn to let go of something. Mm -hmm. By putting him in this position and by bringing Padme into this, then Anakin is learning that he has success when he hangs on to things instead of lets go of things, which is not the Jedi way. He is not learning the lesson. He is learning the lesson Palpatine wants him to. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned the score. The score of this movie is very good. The score of this movie is the best that I have experienced in any Star Wars feature film so far. Just the way that it sets the mood, like every time you're on Tatooine or when you're approaching like a new and exotic location, it really sets this like cool Middle Eastern vibe. Mm -hmm. The jazz quartet on Coruscant is so utterly ridiculously good. Even the final score in the end scene on Tatooine Is it the Star Wars theme that's playing kind of slow and soft, or is it the Tatooine theme? I think it's the Star Wars theme, but either way, there's there's really good music on here. So what are some of the things you want to talk about in this movie? Okay, well, you know me. I am begging you to please let me talk about gender in this movie. You, as we were watching this one for a recap, you did mention the Bechdel test between in the only conversation between two women in this movie, which is Ventress and Ahsoka. Yes. Okay. I'm a little embarrassed. I pronounced it Bechdel test for most of my life. And last week I found out it's pronounced Bechdel test. So I'm mortified. But the Bechdel test is a really simple test for film and movies and media. Are there more than two women in the movie? And do they have a conversation about someone or something other than a man? This movie has three main female characters, but it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Because the only conversation between two women is between Asajj and Ahsoka, as they're fighting outside of the monastery. And Asajj says... Where Skywalker, mm-hmm. Ahsoka doesn't say anything back. And so the only conversation between two women in this movie was about a man. Yeah. So technically, this movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. But there's a lot of other extraordinarily good and interesting things about gender happening in this movie that I think is redeeming. Every single woman in here is like in action mode in a good way. Every single woman in this movie is advancing the plot. Yes, very much. I mean, you needed Ahsoka and Padme to save the day. And Ventress is threatening. And she's carrying out the will of Dooku and Palpatine. She's the player on the field, making this plot actually come to fruition for the Sith. Mm -hmm. So there's really amazing cool representation of women in this movie. One of the things that I picked up on that I really loved is when you're seeing female characters in battle in this movie, their physiology is very different from that of their male counterparts. 
And it leads to really interesting fight scenes. So when Obi-Wan and Ventress are fighting their lightsaber battle, the animators have gone to great length to show Ventress's like hip flexor flexibility. Mm -hmm. So she is able to land in different crouches and fighting positions that they contrast really sharply with Obi-Wan's posture where his knees are closer together because a lot of men have tighter hip flexors Mm -hmm. and their battle becomes that much more dynamic and interesting to watch because of their different physiology, which I think is so cool. I think that's a little charitable because the dark side of that is that she is, as you mentioned, rather scantily garbed and she's just in these evocative positions. You know, she's really straight out. That's true. But that's also Ventress's character. That's part of being a Sith is that your presence, your your passion, your life is all, you know, you want to be having these distractions in battle. You want to be overwhelming your opponent. Mm. And so, you know. So you're saying that Ventress is weaponizing her sexiness? Yeah, I feel like it kind of works on Obi-Wan. It does. They have like... I mean, when it's real toxic chemistry, <laughs> seriously, when Obi-Wan looks at her and says, you'll have to do better than that, my darling. Woo. Hot damn. That's just you're just thinking of Kenobi saying that to you. Hot damn. Yes, please. <laughs> anyway, that is one of the really redeeming things about gender in this movie. On the flip side, it was really frustrating to see the costuming differences Our three main characters that are female have exposed backs, boobs, stomachs, and shoulders the whole movie. Yeah. Whereas Obi-Wan and Anakin get to wear armor. Yeah. Yeah. But but their female counterparts are rushing into battle just like with bare skin everywhere. Yeah. That that is an interesting thing. I wouldn't imagine you'd necessarily want to throw a Padawan in armor into battle because they're smaller. Because they're still younger and it's uh it's kind of a strength thing which might be not the style which ahsoka fights in Hmm. because she actually fights in a different style and this is much more true as the clone wars progress because eventually she picks up a second lightsaber her fighting style changes significantly because she is a togruta and hard to say whether she runs hot or you know whatever but i feel like telling a jedi what to wear in battle, you know, they don't have a uniform. You you choose what works best for you. Yeah, that's true. So I guess we should assume that Ahsoka's going to pick something to wear that works for what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, uh, you know that when Padme shows up in a white jumpsuit, that someone's ass is going to get pounded oh in. Oh my God. That is action Padme mode. Action Padme was back in her white jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of thoughts about gender in this movie. I think that really does sum it up. If I had anything else to say, first of all, Dave Filoni directed this movie and I'm coming to the conclusion that good female representation happens when Dave Filoni is in the picture. And also, I think for some, even though it has some flaws, this movie shows a lot of different ways to be a woman and that is more than I had thought to hope for out of an animated cartoon. I totally agree. I really appreciate the Padme bits because the Padme stuff that comes in is she always does her thing. Like when she's in the chancellor's office 
And she says, oh, I can get that treaty signed using diplomacy. I think that's very cool. I think that the dichotomy between Asajj and Ahsoka is also interesting because although Asajj can handily beat Ahsoka with a lightsaber, Ahsoka is generally useful mm-hmm. for the plot and everything. This whole movie, she's helping Anakin see what he needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a real moment of guidance that, as we talked about in last episode, Yoda might be aiming towards. However, given that like during this half of the movie, Obi-Wan calls the office and he sees Yoda and Palpatine having a conversation, and that's like what he calls into, I wonder if Palpatine might have orchestrated the whole thing to have Ahsoka be... Anakin's Padawan. Oh, I never even thought about that. Because it seems like he's got his fingers everywhere. Hmm. On the flip side of that, there's this is also beyond action Padme. This is also action Obi-Wan. It really is. Don't see him as much in even other Clone Wars episodes. Just demolishing droids. Seriously, he's like graceful. Mm-hmm. He's assertive. He's confident. He's extremely handsome in this movie. The animation for Ewan McGregor is so good. <laughs> he's also more aggressive. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he's still supportive uh, in the flying scenes. He's flying along and he's got a wingman, Oddball. And he has a Oddball like panics and he's like hold it together oddball this is all fine everything's you know that's that's just war he does that twice mm-hmm. he, where oddball is apologizing to obi-wan mm-hmm. for not keeping his shit together yeah and obi-wan's like it happens dude like it's it's fine you're you're you get to live we talked in the last episode about how this movie shows obi-wan in a more serious light very much so. Yeah, I I saw that, although I thought that the fight with Ventress showed a, a much lighter side. And it was really fun to see Obi-Wan in action, but also having fun, even in this grave situation that he found himself in. That fight with Ventress in the temple was really evocative of the fights between Darth Vader and Luke in episodes five and six. Oh, okay. Tell me more about that. Because... Uh, There's one in episode six, Return of the Jedi, where Darth Vader says, your feelings betray you. Mm. And Luke is hiding. And presumably a Jedi can do interesting things with the Force to hide more effectively. We see that later, particularly in The Mandalorian, when we see Ahsoka. But um, that, like, the ability to hide in plain sight is something that Jedi appear to, some Jedi appear to be able to do. And that is what Obi-Wan is saying, that he walks in this temple and presumably Asajj is like, I'm going to, you know, leap up behind you and get you. And Obi-Wan's like, I know you're in here. I can mm-hmm. feel you. Your feelings betray you. Yeah, I loved seeing both the light side and the dark side use that trick in this movie because Obi-Wan uses it on Asajj mm-hmm. and then Dooku uses it on Anakin. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to see that. It's nice to see that advantage used both ways. And it goes to show what you were talking about earlier when Ahsoka said, I tried to like trust in my feelings and things went okay. Things went better for her. Mm-hmm. She trusted in her training. Yeah. Which and, it, is, and it worked out for her. Mm-hmm. So she's being trained well. Yes. Up to this point. Exactly. And now she's being trained to be a warrior by 
of the foremost warrior because that's the other thing that although we see obi-wan in an extreme war footing in this movie we also see anakin being anakin being premium anakin like he's he's stern but he does look out for his men and his Padawan. He's genuinely sorry that he can't stay and help Rex and, and Rex's clones. Mm-hmm. And, and Rex is, seems genuinely sad to see him go. He understands, but Rex is like, oh, crap, this is no good. You think so? I thought Rex just really took it on the chin and was like, that's all right, General. We're going to keep doing what we need to do. I mean, it's hard to tell because you don't ever see a clone without their helmet in this episode or in this movie, I don't believe. But, Hmm. um, you know, from the voice, I got a different read of it that Rex did feel a little hung out to dry, but understood. And I think that's part of the relationship between Rex and Anakin, because Rex is Anakin's second in command and they do crazy stuff together. And that's like Anakin's stock and trade and being... Anakin's clone commander is a real crazy honor. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that part of Rex's long-term survival is because Anakin does look out for his men, but also he has like all these crazy plans and Rex gets to do them. It's high risk, high reward for sure. Being on Anakin's coattails. Very much. Whereas, you know, Cody is sitting there up at the ship, like commanding things and like, yes, this is fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be part of every assault. <laughs> so that's uh, that's an interesting difference between them. I remarked earlier on the, the lightsaber differences between them. The This is some real good lightsaber duels for the entire Clone Wars show and movie. I, I'd like to incorporate them together in concept because it's the same animation style, same characters, same time period. Mm-hmm. Although it shares an animation style with Rebels and Bad Batch, it's it's different enough. And these are some real top tier lightsaber battles. Aren't really matched until season seven. And this is this is the good stuff. They're fast, they're fluid, they're exciting, they're dynamic. They do have a few too many cuts and the zoom-ins are not quite there, but the coverage, the subject matter, watching watching these fights really gives you the sense of this is this is pure Star Wars. I think the first time I saw this when they were first assaulting Teth, climbing up those those landers and then watching these Jedi do crazy stuff. I'm like, this is the reason the Clone Wars exists. That's really interesting because I was just thinking that the big battle scenes for me as a newbie Star Wars fan, as someone who's not really a big fan of war movies, Mm The big battle scenes really caused me to zone out and lose interest, but the one-on-one or the two-on-one lightsaber battles really zoom me back into focus and and give me a, a more nuanced understanding of the dynamics at play. But the walkers walking up the cliffside to the monastery on Teth, I don't know. It wasn't really my thing. It wasn't as personal. How did you feel about Rex's several last stands after he unprisoners himself and they're in the courtyard again? He spends all the whole movie in this dang courtyard and he's surrounded. He's got a few men left and they climb aboard. He he jumps out of cover. He slides underneath a spider droid. He attaches a grenade to it, dives out of the way, and then they he uses that for cover 
they shoot up a vulture droid, they're using that for cover, and then they stand on top of it. The droids say, you're surrounded. And Rex says, but we've got you outnumbered. And, and they go, one, two, three, ah! And then Obi-Wan shows up and finishes the job with a big so, strafing run. that was a lot cooler on my third rewatch. <laughs> on my first and second rewatches, I was like, okay, get me back to the main characters, yeah. whatever. I think that is the flaw of the Clone Wars movie. And so keep in mind that this is the first animated thing that came out. And so this is the precursor for Clone Wars, Bad Batch, Rebels, Resistance, Mm -hmm. all of that. Opening up this entire new epoch of Star Wars media. Yes. And the space that it leaves the viewer is significantly lower than would be in anything that was filmed. What do you mean? Just that the scene cuts are very quick. Oh God! And it, it makes it. It makes it, it. If you were to watch it yourself, listener, I think you would enjoy it. I think you'd have a lot of fun with it if you sat down and watched it end to end. Uh, trying for us, trying to recap it. This was actually more difficult than anything we've done so far. I was even just exhausted by the time I finished my watch through, both times that I watched the movie all the way through. Watching it for detail. Watching it for detail, watching it for the plot to be moving forward, watching it for character dynamics and character development. It was exhausting to keep up with this. So what I decided is that if I had seen this movie in theaters, I was not primed to enjoy it. Interesting. Now that we're doing this entire watch through, I have knowledge of some of the history, some of the preceding events, some of the events that are yet to happen. I'm in the perfect place to appreciate this movie on its own terms, which I can. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate the animation, the pacing, the characters, the scoring, the development. But in any other less favorable set of circumstances, I would not be able to enjoy this movie. That's an interesting take. Now, that said, we've talked in our previous episodes about the viewing order of The Clone Wars. And so every time I watch it, uh, back when it was on Netflix, now that it's on Disney+, Plus, I just turn it on, you know? And it starts season one, episode one. Mm-hmm. It's not going to have this playlist that we're following Mm -hmm. if you were to do such a thing or if you were to recommend it or if you were to come up with a viewing order where would you include the movie so far and if so or or would you include the movie gosh what a good question i think i would say watch the movie first Mm-hmm. Because I'm a firm believer that if you love something less, get it out of the way before you have anything to color your viewpoint. And you don't think that would turn a, a viewer off? Well, I would force them to then continue into the TV series. They would have very little say in what was happening to them in this context. <laughs> Give them the Ludovenko technique. You hold their eyes open. You're like, you're <laughs> yeah. watching this. Yeah, I would do a little Jedi mind trick. You are watching all of these now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I would do it. It's it's kind of the same thing of how you made me watch Phantom Menace first. And a lot of people cannot appreciate Phantom Menace. And I am able to love Phantom Menace for what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's how I would do it. Interesting. How would you do it? Well, 
I've I've rewatched all of Clone Wars several times because it's my it's my comfort food. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll I'll sit there, I'll watch like I I've gone to the effort, for example, of watching all of the Star Trek episodes in order by Star Date, which is similar to what we're doing now, wow. which involves interspersing several shows simultaneously. Sam, that's really nerdy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, although that was back in the old days when uh, someone I knew who wasn't me would have pirated all those episodes and could put them on a playlist and then could watch them easily. Whereas nowadays you watch them on Netflix. Yeah, for legal that. reasons, that's a joke. That's someone else. Oh, okay. It's not me. Not, <laughs> I never did such a thing. But I don't even know if I would include it. Wow. It's got two great lightsaber battles. It's got one fantastic space battle. It's got the inauguration of Snips. It's got the inauguration of Snips. Action Padme. Action Padme. R2 with his rocket boots. We see Action Padme. We see R2 with his rocket boots. It's nice to know that Ahsoka wasn't originally intended for Anakin. Anakin didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. want a Padawan. But does it fit massively in the rest of the watch through? The answer is not terribly. If you watch all the... The episodes in release order, you end up seeing bits of a battle here, bits of a battle there, callbacks to this. As I was putting together the chronological list for what we're watching, I'm seeing a lot of things that are interesting in their order. And it's it's cool to see that this is an important part, particularly of the Battle of Christophsis, because I didn't necessarily think that that was a hugely important part of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And if you just watch the Clone Wars TV series, you won't think it's a huge battle. You'll yeah, think, it just seemed like yet another yeah, battle. Yeah, there's Admiral Trench, and then there's uh, some other cool stuff. But when you watch it as the part of this movie that's that arc, you're like, oh, and that's when Ahsoka gets introduced. I would say that I would include it, and it may be purely because this movie shows so many different ways to be a woman in Star Wars. Ooh, I like that. It shows you how to be a young female Padawan on a light side user. It shows you how to be a dark side user. It shows you how to be a completely non-force user who's still able to create change in the galaxy. And who has like great trigger discipline with her concealed blaster. Holy she, moly. she you know shoots him in the chest and shoots him in the head to take him out before getting taken out. So remind me not to get on Pad Bay's bad side ever. She's she's a, a combat monster given half the chance and she's proven it, which is such a such a funky thing. You don't think of uh, senators so much as that. This also introduces Zero and later on when we meet Zero he's in jail. And so this explains she's given a real funky face folks. She's not a fan of Zero. I am offended by Zero's mere existence. I feel like that is because you originate from the South. I am Southern and being gay in the South is already so fraught that Zero's like gay Southern queen thing is deeply offensive to me. I I I stand by that I think it's um it's a parody of that because you have other Southern over-the-top figures throughout history with like crazy camp voices like that and making them into like a gangster leader uh, kind of takes the wind out of the sails of the idea. It, it makes him seem like considerably less of a threat than he actually is. But compare Zero the Hut versus Jabba the Hut. Zero the Hut is on Coruscant, which yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. That's the difference between being the mob boss in New York City and being the mob boss in Kansas City. Like there's a 
there's a difference. And Tatooine is hugely important, but it is in the sticks. And Coruscant's a big deal. There is a difference. I guess in 2008, we hadn't yet gotten to the level of critical discourse that you don't have to queer code all of your villains. And so I'm going to give it a pass, but I would really like to see better in the future. Yeah, that does... uh... I don't know when exactly we crossed that line. I feel like once uh, Javier Bardem in, was it Skyfall? Skyfall. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's, that's intriguing enough. But now we've, now we've kind of gotten that out of our system. Yeah. Let's move on from queer coding our villains. Yeah. But just the idea of uh, slug creatures having gender is no front to me. I am for aliens having funky alien genders. And I don't like that Jabba is a he. I like that Jabba is a Jabba. Yeah. I, I, I want Jabba just to be Just an amorphous, a, genderless blob. Yes, yes. You know, eggs, spawn, whatever. He just puts them wherever there's fluid. And that's why he stays on Tatooine because he's trying to, like, reduce his dowries he oh has to pay God. or something. I, 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 like, I like aliens to be real alien. And we've talked about this in the past. Uh, Star Wars has a good assortment of alien aliens. That's a hot take. I love it. Yeah. I like seeing Jabba. I don't know if we ever see Jabba in animated works again. If we do, it'll be for just a moment. Um, wow. Yeah. They did a nice job with his animation. They did. And the... The tail was very expressive for both him and for Zero. Yeah. And then uh, little Stinky. I, I know you, you didn't like him. I thought he was cute. No, I thought Stinky was the perfect comedic relief because he doesn't talk. <laughs> he was infinitely better than C-3PO. Because, like, he can be in the battle scene making funny faces or funny noises, and he doesn't talk, and so it doesn't take the wind out of the sail for the comedic value. It, it really holds up over time. Also, there's a good element of show-don't-tell with they call him Stinky, and that's the thing you can't yeah, get across yeah. in this media. And so Ahsoka always, and Anakin always being like, he's real stinky and I don't like him very much because he's, you know, loud and stinky. That tells you a lot about what's going on off scene and what's going on in their world that we don't have. It does. And I appreciate that every main character had to take a turn carrying him. Ahsoka <laughs> has to carry him. Anakin has to stick him in the backpack and R2 eventually has to kind of trundle him up into the crappy ship so they all had to take a turn babysitting and that was delightful (laughs) yeah so it's um it's a weird one i i've watched it i've enjoyed it i enjoyed it more as you said with a uh with a critical lens yeah with a really critical lens but Anakin stays pretty much the same throughout the series. Well, this is this is a continuation of Anakin's character. I feel like Ventress might have even had a different voice actor. She's a mm. little, a little bit less moving mm-hmm. forward. And Obi Wan is much more lighthearted later in the war, and that is an interesting character arc to take. I don't know if that's something which is as common. It feels like. If you are a warrior, especially an, you know, a happy warrior, but a reluctant warrior like Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. that you would start out happy and get darker over time. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that that jives with watching it in the actual chronological order because he is dark in this movie. Yeah, I appreciated this movie quite a bit. I'm not going to be coming back to it anytime soon. Mm. It's not a restful watch for me. Ooh, that's a good way to put it. 
But, you know, if you love Star Wars as much as we do, you got to watch it just for a few things. And there are many bays to be celebrated. Ooh. Let's do it. It's that time. It's that time. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. I had such a hard time picking a bay in this movie. There are so many folks who deserve to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. I would say Pad Bay deserves to be celebrated for literally saving the day. Being action Padme, yes. R2 is incredible, as always. He gets a kill. He gets a kill. He, he's got his little uh, antenna that he poops up after that and is like, uh, presuming, post, posting a kill count on the, the galactic internet. He's like, R2, one, noob, zero. R2 is a god. <laughs> C-3PO has a role to play in saving the day. He, he rescues Padme. Mm-hmm. But the bay of the second half of the, the Clone, Clone Wars, Wars movie... movie you know it's going to be Ahsoka. Wasn't she your bay in the first half? She was my bay in the first half, and that was even before she heroically takes down three of the scariest droids I've ever seen to bring little baby Jabba unscathed back to his dad. That moment when she says, I really didn't think being a Padawan was going to be this hard. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. If that's not my experience of adulting. <laughs> I mean, Ahsoka made me feel so seen. And she was a bamf and she saved the day. She did. And, you know, that's after spending a day, at least, walking across the Dune Sea. It is. Which is like deep Jedi reserves of energy. Yeah. And, yeah, she had also gotten into a tussle with Ahsoka or uh, Ventress earlier that day, which is tough because Ventress is no pushover. Yeah. Ahsoka just gave me so many feels and Ahsoka gave me so much to celebrate in this movie. There's no question. I mean, there's plenty of honorary bays, but it's got to be Ahsoka. Oh, that's fair. If you didn't choose her, I would have. So Okay, then who did you choose? I'm choosing my boy Rex. Aww. I, I love uh, from, gosh, episode one or two. I think episode two of our podcast, when we watched The Phantom Menace, Captain Tycho. I love someone who shows up to work and does their job. I, I, love, I love Rex because he's sitting there. He's surrounded by dying clones the entire movie. Yeah, trigger warning, clone death. Yeah, there's a fair bit of rather explicit clone death. He, um, When he's captured, like Ventress walks in with droids and they're all reporting. And he's lying there in a pile in the corner what does he do? He Picks starts his blasting. Head up and starts blasting. Yeah, and then he gets uh, mind wiped. He gets mind tricked by Ventress, and he says, "Anakin, you need to come to the courtyard." And that's what Ventress told him to do. But Anakin immediately twigs onto the fact that Rex has been mind controlled by Ventress because Rex would never say Anakin. Rex never says Anakin's first name. Mm-hmm. Also, in all of the battle scenes, he's just like, all right, well, we're in cover, but this big guy's going to come and blow up our cover. So I'm going to dive underneath him or shoot a vulture droid with a rifle until it explodes. He is a he is a one-man wrecking machine. <laughs> he is Rex. He is great. And although we see Rex earlier in Cat and Mouse, no, Hidden Enemy, and we see him... In a lot of the episodes moving forward, he represents, I think, the good of Anakin's war effort. Mm. Because as we spoke about, Anakin led 
like the 501st, which is this insane, like point it at something and it will be destroyed problem solving unit. And Rex lives through the whole war, spoiler alert, and is is this a clone who survives the whole war and a clone who works with Anakin in these extremely high risk, high reward situations. And this is the first one. And he does it with aplomb and he does it with style and he does it with his two blasters. He does. He's got an element of bravery to him that I find really endearing. And out of all of the clones, I feel like he is the exemplar. Hmm. And we don't see, I think we see more of him in the first half, but his moments of shining were in the second half of this movie. He definitely had his moments in the sun and they were impressive. Yeah. So Ahsoka, very strong contender. R2, he tried real hard at the second half, but he's like one for three for heroic moments. You know what? A for effort, R2. You can do no wrong in my eyes. He's my baby. Yeah. So that's that's really the stable of bays. We're going to have to... Start calling out new characters now. Oh my gosh, I know. Well, Dave Filoni, give me more female characters to celebrate and I'll make them my bay. It's easy as that. Well, you know, that's uh, a little bit of Star Wars news for those of you who are listening near release date is that um, Rangers of the New Republic was sort of canceled. Oh. Uh, because it was starring... Cara Dune, <gasps> oh, and she no. was no longer part of the Disneyverse, but Rangers of the New Republic, as of this morning, might be restarted. And if that's the case, I can think of three solid female leads who would be in the correct time period to do that kind of thing. Cool. And I think a, a female-fronted show would be really cool. We know that there's an Ahsoka show coming out, and I believe the Acolyte show, which is a prequel to everything by about 200 years, is also going to be female-fronted. But those would be... It's As you spoke right now, It it's a really interesting opportunity to shine, particularly with the um, athletic kinematics, as you said with uh, Ventress. Fighting. Mm-hmm. It is so exciting to see different kinds of people in battle together. So I think it would be a real missed opportunity if they didn't put female leads in the front, especially because there's plenty of people who are Star Wars fans who are interested in that content. Absolutely. And it, it just shows that, you know, not everything needs to be the way George Lucas envisioned it with a bunch of stormtroopers and one woman in a metal bikini. So... There you go. It is the true test. Can Star Wars flex over time to continue to stay delightful and relevant to a changing audience? Yeah. That's it for this Tuesday, folks. As always, you can find us on social media at Growing Up Skywalker. If you like the show, please leave us a review on your podcast app or send it to your best clone friend who just really deserves a break every once in a while. Or your Padawan who's having a tough day. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to get access to other fun goodies, including having your name read on the show, you can find us on Patreon, and we really appreciate that. It really helps. Mm-hmm. Finally, if you have any questions, please send a listener holocron to growingupskywalker at gmail.com. We promise we read every single one. Tune in next Tuesday for Clone Cadets, which is Season 3, Episode 1, and Supply Lines, which is Season 3, Episode 3. Can't wait. I'm a huge fan of these next episodes. 
So yes, join us, please. Excellent. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.